Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. Mother Teresa, come be my light. Introduction, her legacy continued. Initially, the experience of darkness took Mother Teresa off her guard. Since she had experienced a high degree of union with God, the change was not only surprising, but also agonizing. Unable to feel his presence as she had earlier, she was bewildered and afraid. Was she going the wrong way? Seeking possible reasons for God's apparent absence, when his presence to her had seemed so real, she at first attributed this absence to her sinfulness and weakness, concluding that the darkness was purification of her imperfections. With the help of her spiritual directors, she progressively came to grasp that her painful inner experience was an essential part of living out her mission. It was a sharing in the passion of Christ on the cross, with a particular emphasis on the thirst of Jesus as the mystery of his longing for the love and salvation of every human person. Eventually, she recognized her mysterious suffering as an imprint of Christ's passion on her soul. She was living the mystery of Calvary, the Calvary of Jesus, and the Calvary of the poor. Her living of this inner experience was an integral aspect of her vocation, the most challenging demand of her mission, and the supreme expression of her love for God and for his poor. Beyond caring for the downtrodden and outcasts of human society, she was willing to embrace their material and spiritual suffering, their state of being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, of having no one. Although this intense and ongoing spiritual agony could have made her despondent, she instead radiated remarkable joy and love. She was truly a witness to hope, an apostle of love and joy, because she had built the edifice of her life on pure faith. She glowed with a kind of luminosity, as Malcolm Muggridge described it, which flowed from her relationship with God. In this book, I hope to examine and illuminate the hidden dynamics of this relationship. The documents. Mother Teresa herself was well aware of the uncommon circumstances of her calling and the extraordinary way in which she was challenged to live it out. She always insisted that all documents revealing the inspiration behind the foundation of the missionaries of charity be destroyed. For fear that she would be given a prominence that she believed was due to God alone. Father Exem also has many letters I wrote to him regarding the work 
while still a Loretto nun. Now that the plan of Jesus entrusted to us is in the constitutions, those letters are not necessary. Please, may I have them, as these were the very expression of my soul in those days. I would like to burn all papers that disclose anything of me in them. Please, your grace, I ask. I beg you to grant me this desire. I want God's secret to me to remain ours. The world does not know, and I want it to remain so. Anything regarding the society, you have plenty. I have never told, not even in confession, of how the society started. You and Father Van Exum know it. This is enough. I was his little instrument. Now his will is known through the constitutions. All those letters are useless. When after a year in 1957, Archbishop Perrier had not yet complied with her request, she found another opportunity to repeat her appeal. This second request was similarly not agreed to. As time went on and interest in her work increased, the possibility arose that she and the work would be the topic for articles and books. This proved to be yet another trial for her. Again, she feared that Archbishop Perrier and Father Van Exum, her spiritual director since 1944, might make the documents available. I went this morning, but you were not there. I have a very big request to make to you. I have never asked you for anything personally. From Monsignor E. Barber, I heard that Cardinal Spellman wants to write about me and the work. Bishop Morrow is going to come and ask you for all the documents. With you and Father Van Exum, I have entrusted my deepest thoughts, my love for Jesus, and his tender love for me. Please do not give anything of 1946. I want the work to remain only his. When the beginning will be known to people, they will think more of me, less of Jesus. Please, for Our Lady's sake, do not tell or give anything. I know they want to help the society financially. I do not want money. My trust in God is blind. I know he will never let me down. In these few years, lakhs of rupees have passed through my hands. I do not know how they came. I am perfectly happy and grateful to God for what he gives. I would rather be and remain poor with Jesus and his poor. I prefer to beg and struggle with little. Let him write about the work and our poor suffering people. Help me to pay for the schooling of our poor children and give the clever ones a chance in life. Reverend Father Martindale, S.J., wants also to write, and he sent word through Captain Cheshire. I have said no. I am only his instrument. Why so much about me when the work is all his? I hold no claim to it. It was given to me. Three years later, she had yet another occasion to request that the documents be destroyed. To obtain pontifical recognition of the missionaries of charity, the Archbishop of Calcutta had to present a formal application to the Pope, outlining the history and work of the congregation under his care. 
This new scrutiny concerned her. Your grace, now that you are looking through the file of our society, I beg you to destroy any letter which I have written to his grace, not connected with the society. The call was a delicate gift of God to me, unworthy. I do not know why he picked me up. I suppose like the people we pick up, because they are the most unwanted. From the first day to this day, this my new vocation has been one prolonged yes to God, without even a look at the cost. My conviction that the work is his is more than the reality. I have never doubted. It hurts me only when the people call me founders, because I know for certain he asked, Will you do this for me? Everything was his. I had only to surrender myself to his plan, to his will. Today, his work has grown because it is he, not I, that do it through me. Of this, I am so convinced that I would give my life gladly to prove it. Even though it was the conviction of Archbishop Perrier and his successors in office that the documents should survive, Mother Teresa did manage to destroy a good number. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Angels of God, our guardians, dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side to light and guard, to rule and guide, amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle guide of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This introduction is laying out the fascinating situation that Mother Teresa found herself in, in 1946. She was 36 years old. She had left her home in Albania when she was 18. She had joined a teaching order of nuns in India, in Calcutta, having spent time in a novitiate in Ireland. And after over 15 years of teaching in, in India, she experienced this profound call to leave her convent, her teaching order, to go into the slums. And what urged her to do this was something that happened to her on a train in September 1946, this call, this experience of Christ urging her to come and satiate his thirst. That is, the thirst for love that was within the poor people. For they would never receive him if he went. They would reject him. They wouldn't even recognize him. But as we're going to learn, Jesus told Mother, but they will receive you. And it's this ongoing intimate, most intimate conversation between Jesus and Mother Teresa that kind of impressed itself on her soul, this infused way of speaking that Christ gave to her, that she was so insistent that records of it be destroyed. It was this conversation, this experience, which she had to write about to the archbishop. See, for her to get permission to leave the convent and go into the slums, 
for her to get permission to do this new work, she had to go through the archbishop. She had to go through various channels because the church doesn't want people to be deceived by the devil. The church doesn't let people just say, oh, well, God told me to do this, therefore I should do it. No. How do we know God told you? How do we know it wasn't the devil? How do we know it wasn't your own inspiration of your own heart and your own ideas? I mean, this is a very serious thing for her to leave her order where she was doing so much good. And so she had to explain what happened to her. And what she's saying here in these opening letters that we're looking at was that once the society got established, that is, once the church recognized her call, and once all these other sisters came, and once the thing was getting hundreds and hundreds of sisters, and once the constitutions were officially approved by the Pope, she thought that that was what people needed to read. That's all that mattered. The church had now approved this. Obviously, this was from God. And all the things that happened to her personally she thought were no longer necessary. And why were they no longer necessary? Because all they would do, she thought, was draw attention to her. And she would become the fascination of attention. And that's not what she wanted. What she wanted was all the focus to be on Christ, in himself, and in his poor. Oh, Mother Teresa, model of humility model of profound zeal. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.